Uh, it's difficult, of course, for the media to work out what's, what's the difference between a business selling tenors for nine quid and a business businesses that sell tenors for fifteen quid. Um, and um, they tend to focus on the, the growth. You know, when, when people who can sort of hire thousands of people without budgeting any of it, without knowing what it's going to cost them, without knowing how that's going to fit into their financial profile, um, so I think somebody's going to get hurt in situations like that. On the show today, we're lucky to be joined by William Reeve, who is the CEO of Goodlord, and we're going to be talking about prop tech and also the problem with growth and our obsession with it. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we have interviews with technology leaders and some news from across the industry. Joining me on this swelteringly warm day, we have a quiche. Sorry to drag you out the garden. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Um, yeah, it's been great out there, hasn't it? It's been yeah. very, very good. Does your Wi-Fi extend outside? Uh, no, it doesn't. So I kind of have to sit in between the door and outside. So I kind of have to... Mate, hotspotting. Yeah. It's all about hotspotting. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Yeah. But, um, yeah, both my phones run out of batteries. And, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not really organised in that sort of sense, to be honest. So, yeah, that is, that's a good one. I might try that one. Might yeah, try. the only problem is that the, the work laptop battery lasts about 45 minutes so you got to come in for about another hour whilst it recharges and then out you go again correct correct i was using it to stream some music the other night when i was sitting outside and i had to have like a massive extension lead just running to my kitchen um <laughs> the battery on but anyway yeah it's all good. <laughs> it's all good but it's positive the weather's good and yeah another week eh? another podcast so Another week, another another podcast. Um, seems relevant to me because I'm renting on the cusp of buying, as I said during the interview. Looks like that might be beginning to move again. We'll see. But we'll hand over to the interview with William. Loads of really interesting insight here into tech generally and funding. And myself and Akish will come back with some commentary and a quick bit of news. So joining us today, we've got William Reeve. He is a serial tech entrepreneur, angel investor, the CEO of Goodlord, which we'll get into in a moment, and current chairman at Nutmeg. Previously, you've been involved at, at Graze.com, which is uh, quite cyclical because it's they're based only just over the river from me where we're recording because I, I live just outside of Richmond. So um, nice to see that you've been involved in the British tech scene for, for quite a long time at uh, quite a high level, ho- helping out some brands that people are very familiar with. Good morning and thanks for joining us. Morning, David. Uh, thanks for having me. No, absolute pleasure. Um, first of all, uh, people will be familiar with Nutmeg, I'd imagine, but they might not be so familiar with Good Lord. So it'd be good to find out a little bit about that and and your role as CEO there. Yeah, so Good Lord is a tech platform uh, focusing on the lettings industry. So really trying to help um, bring the kind of modern benefits of technology to the very, very old world of uh, lettings, residential lettings. So helping the landlord, tenants, and agents with um, take an old manual inefficient error strewn process and make it slick user-friendly and um convenient that is something that i can definitely identify with i have lived in i think nine different properties in london and currently rent i was on the cusp of buying before the pandemic (laughs) we were we were very close to uh to exchange (laughs) and it's all been put on pause but um no and that's one of the uh as one of the things we're hoping, we're clinging on to as hope in this in this drama, actually, is that the, the lockdown, I beg your pardon, is, is almost certainly not good for home ownership. So uh, yeah. but what isn't good for home ownership probably is good for the lettings industry. I mean, you mentioned there that there are, or you mentioned before we hit record anyway, that there are 10 million people renting in this country. Um, that's, no, steady on. There are 10 million homes rented, 20 million right. people renting. Wow. Which is a staggering number because we do just 
assume in this country that you know home home ownership is is what it's all about and it's what our parents drill into us yeah uh that we we must buy um and i suppose it's quite different as you know continental europe seems to have a quite different attitude but certainly in the uk it is all about sales and even when you talk to and i have to think about the previous guests actually that we've had on the show they tend to be uh platforms that are designed to help the sales process rather necessarily than the renting process yeah no, and I think um, there's a sort of widespread assumption that the property market is to do with sales, um, which is something that can get quite frustrating, especially when you sort of read that, you know, property markets collapsed or whatever. And, you know, the reality is the lessings market doesn't really ever collapse. It's a very stable thing. Uh, but um, I think in lots of ways that that widespread some lazy assumption that it's all about sales has, has, has helped Good Lord, is one of the reasons why Good Lord exists, because... Um, no, it's 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 very very rare in focusing exclusively on lettings. And uh, although that it's entered a market where there are actually hundreds of different software providers for the real estate market, uh, they've all effectively started off from the sales angle. And if they now support lettings, it's as a sort of bastard cousin of the of the original sales focus of theirs. And let, good order is different from that. It was set up by. Um, Three guys. One of whom was a was, was an estate agent. The other, two, and they were all re- renting, and they always went, "This process sucks, doesn't it?" And we could we could do better. And they were able to um, set the business up right from the get go to be focused on lettings, and it stayed that way ever since. And, and primarily, the business works with agencies. Uh, Mostly, then- yeah. So it, it, we don't deal with we don't go direct to consumers. We 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 it's a professional software platform, and we need kind of professionals um, to be our customers. And the prof- we're looking for people who are processing a professional quantity of. Um, lettings transactions and that mostly means agents but we, we do work with uh, build to rent providers um mm. some social housing providers um one day we'll probably work with councils actually but uh, at the moment it's a private sector uh, agent intermediated properties mostly people who are dealing with kind of 100 or more um properties at a time and um, you know every month they're putting some there's something's going on they're either finding some new tenants or they're renewing contracts or they're um that they're looking after a, a book of business. So you mentioned there that you came out. So let's make sure that we get this right. According to LinkedIn, correct me if this is wrong, but according to LinkedIn, you've been with the business around two and a half years. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and you weren't one of the founders. They brought you in as that's CEO. Right. That's right. No. So uh, in fact, one of those founders is still with me. He's my business partner, Tom Mundy. But the other two founders had left by the time I joined. And uh, I was brought in by one of the investors, really introduced to the business. Business sort of needed some help really um, scaling up and uh, had sort of got itself up and running. It got, a, got quite a few customers. The technology was up and running, very popular. But the business had got to over 100 people and needed some help to... Um, so take it to the next stage. That's quite forward thinking. Not not all founders um, recognise that. What, you know, one of the founding team tends to be the CEO, and they don't necessarily realise that the skills that they've got are ideally suited to being a CEO, and 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 it could lead to some growing pain. So, how how was that process coming into the business as the CEO and working with the founding team? Yeah. So look, I mean, I, from my point of view, there must have been some tricky conversations, but I wasn't in them because the the, the board had already decided that it was time to find find some, if you like, more grey-haired help. And um, I, I I got introduced to the business after that decision had been taken. But uh, mm-hmm. so it could have it could have been quite sticky. But actually, uh, Tom, the the remaining co-founder, has been very good to work with, very welcoming, and um, I think recognises that you know while he's 
well, he's got a lot of answers. He's also got a lot to learn, and and he, that's been really good to work with. The rest of the team, by and large, quite young characters, quite uh, in their mostly in their sort of first, second, or perhaps third roles. And and I think started the business had been had been flying in some measures, but it also been getting very difficult. And sort of there were there were challenges that they were they knew that they needed help with. So. Um, Actually, they've been they've been great, and the culture of the business has been one of the real things that attracted me to the business. And I'm sort of proud to have kept uh, a lot of the positive qualities of the culture. And we've actually just become one of the top twenty best places to work in the UK in the, in the sort of mid-sized business segment. So um, there's something there's something special about the business, and um, that makes it fun to work there. So you mentioned that you kind of joined at that kind of a hundred employee point, and it was it was looking to take it further. You mentioned there about culture uh i imagine one of the one of the skills that you were brought on board with was around helping to raise money and the funds to take the business forward but equally culture does evolve so it's really interesting to hear you there say that uh you've been able to retain elements of the culture so what 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 were those challenges and how did you help the business grow keep the keep the best bits of the culture that that works but also move it along in a way that made sense for it to be mature and and not kind of driven by hype necessarily yeah, so I think um, one of the challenges was how technology was managed, um, and the, the the business had um, had embarked on a path which I, I, I'm always I always resist if it if it's up to me, uh, which was to sort of essentially reinvent the technology from scratch, uh, and um, that's a very very difficult, challenging thing to do. Almost never works. So um, I. I uh, I, in, I inherited a decision to do that, and that wasn't that wasn't helping the business. And the business had uh, sort of been going going down a path that really didn't look very profitable. So we we kind of reversed path there and decided to stick to the existing technology. Um, and um, we also, I think, had um, we didn't have enough focus on um, the kind of basics of making money and and trying to build a business that people would pay more than it cost you to provide so uh, we had to, had to fix that a bit and um other than that actually uh, quite a lot of what else was working was working really well the the the, the kind of core software platform that really helps agents dealing deal with um quite a lot of tedious administration do it much more stickly take a lot of compliance and risk out of their hair uh that was working really well so sort of figure that out that 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 was the right thing to double down on and double down on it um and Make sure that we retained a, what the business had a very sort of customer-facing attitude. Really, really believed in kind of customer first and providing a high level of service. And and again, that that has worked well, and we've we've invested in that. So really, I think it was figuring out the bits that what that we like and want to keep, and the bits that we didn't like and needed to fix. And I had some help there, bringing in some 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 strong people who helped us get the technology onto the right track um and since then we've you know the technology's improved leaps and bounds but it's all based on the original the original mm. system not some fancy new system um and the um i think that sort of recognizing that growth is good but growth it's very easy to grow businesses if you quick quick way to sell a business is to build a to build a growth business david i can you can get you can start on it tomorrow morning if you want is, is start selling 10 quid tenors for nine quid uh, you'll grow very, very quickly, uh, and there's quite a lot of growth in the market, which is effectively equivalent to that. Um, but that's not the sort of business actually that you're going to sell for very much, and it's going to run out of steam at some point. And it's, well, just, you know, if you can sell tenors for eleven quid, you're you're onto something. And if you can sell them for fifteen quid, uh, you've got the makings of a good business. I mean, do you, do you think that actually what's going on will be will be a positive for the tech sector in the long run? I mean, we've seen the WeWork bubble 
burst in a big way. Um, you know, they they were talking about an IPO last year. They were the kind of the poster child. Um, their IPO document mentioned tech all throughout it, but when people <laughs> looked under the hood, decided, well, it's not really a tech business, and there was a lot of hype there, and there's a lot less money now from the VC community going to be sloshing around, and there's there's a suggestion that that tech companies are really going to have to work with the existing funders that they've got and demonstrate value. Do you think this is a good thing, kind of removing some of that hype? Not that obviously WeWork's demise is something to celebrate, but there is a cautionary tale there, right, that business could, businesses can learn from. There is. And look, they're not the only business to try and sort of wrap themselves in a tech bubble. And um, I don't know if you followed the news recently, but um, uh, Tesco have been getting into a little bit of bother recently around um, whether whether or not Ocado is one of their competitors or not. Uh, mm. And uh turns out that it isn't. Uh, apparently, uh, it's a tech business, um, and uh, you know, so they're not. Uh, this sort of what, what, what are we all, and where, who's a tech business and who isn't is is a is one question. But I think um, I, I certainly think when you're when you're trying to build a a decent business, but making money with a with a prospect of returning your investors some a profit uh, and and building a position that's going to be around in 5 10 15 years when you're up against people who are selling tenors for 9 quid uh, and who've probably got more growth to brag about and have probably got um probably found some investors somewhere who sort of very growth focused and haven't quite worked out that selling tenors for 9 quid is as easy as it sounds um that can be quite hard work because you look like you're not growing as as much. You look like you're, um, uh, you know, you're not getting quite as much hype. You probably haven't got the same level of attention in the media. Uh, it's difficult, of course, for the media to work out what's, what's the difference between a business selling tenors for nine quid and a business businesses that sell tenors for fifteen quid. Um, and um, they tend to focus on the the growth. And you know, I've heard recently of a very very well known high growth tech business that announced plans to hire sort of several thousand people i think and uh i heard i heard recently from somebody who was, was behind you know in, behind closed doors there that um there was absolutely no budget for that there was no financial planning behind that it was just an announcement we're going to hire x thousand people and mm. uh you know but won't, they've, they've since all that they've raised quite a lot of money they've obviously found some some investors who want to back the business and um you know, when, when people who can sort of hire thousands of people without budgeting any of it, without knowing what it's going to cost them, without knowing how that's going to fit into their financial profile, um, that's uh, that's kind of what they've got plenty of competitors. And their competitors, I think, do have budgets and do have plans and do know what people cost to hire and do know how to manage that sort of process, but probably aren't showing the growth and haven't got the investor traction. And um, so I think somebody's going to get hurt in situations like that. Look, the last thing that I just wanted to to ask you about, because you you are someone who's been involved in a number of tech businesses, you are an investor. Um, I suppose with lockdown and furlough, there's a lot of challenges for business right now to know how to move forward. And the business that I work for, it seems to be a tricky challenge of, well, when do we bring people back? Uh, How does that affect the business further down the line as costs get added back into the business? And is demand going to be there to meet that, etc.? And it's absolutely sensible for organizations to use the furlough and to make sure they've got critical mass and they're protecting their employees, et cetera. And yet you did mention there seems to be a dual narrative coming out of the government perhaps and the press around um, whether or not companies should use the furlough going forward. And uh, yeah, you, you, before we hit record, you mentioned some quite some quite interesting thoughts around that. I'd just be interested to see kind of how you, how you think that balancing acts between I suppose protecting businesses and protecting the economy and the government's view on things is is kind of 
working and might kind of play out in the next kind of six months or so? Yeah, so look, I think, um, well, look, so for, for starters, I think that the, what the government's done by with the furlough scheme, which they did very quickly on the hoof under a lot of pressure, to, as we all were, to work out what, what we we're going to make of this terrible virus pandemic. And uh, the furlough scheme is definitely, I think, the right the right general approach. Um, I have some quibbles with how it's implemented, and wish you know, and it wasn't the first of its kind that you know, was invented by the the uh, some of our EU and the other uh, our EU partners um, on the continent several years ago earlier. But I'm very very glad the UK has adopted it, and it's definitely the right answer in this sort of scenario where we know we've got we know a load of works impossible at the moment the government's made a lot of work impossible actually and that's they're not done that on a permanent basis they're done on a temporary basis and furlough is designed to provide a temporary relief um so that you know to avoid people having having to really if in the interest of survival sort of let all their stuff go and leave them unemployed and put the economy into a much worse footing which will probably be permanent and not temporary so the furlough principle is absolutely right and correct and i think i've seen a lot of uh, use of it um which um, is, is, I think, everybody trying to do the right thing and trying to make sure that you know, the jobs are preserved for when the when people can get back to something approaching normal and and, and people are not thrown through into a horrible redundancy process from which probably they won't escape for ages. So, in that respect, it's great. I think the thing that I'm finding fascinating because I've, I've got a foot in several camps here, but one of those is um, I'm on the board of a PLC retailer for T350 business, Dunelm, and um, and and through that. I, I see the world the way I suppose the sort of um, the large investors look at it and the, and the kind of governance police look at it. And there's a lot of talk there around um, if you're if you're using state support, then um, you know, you're going to be under various restrictions. And none of those are none of those are legislated for. They're just it's just sort of the court of public opinion is stipulating that, for example, if you're on state support, you shouldn't be paying large bonuses. And you shouldn't be paying dividends. And I find that very, very troubling because I mean, for example, one of the perennial policy questions for the UK over the years has been relatively low levels of R&D spending. And the government has created, for example, incentives to improve and increase R&D spending. So there are R&D tax credits available for companies which um, help them incentivize them to do R&D tax spending. Now, lots of companies avail themselves of that, especially in the tech community, but also some very, very big companies, some manufacturing businesses, some of the biggest in the, in the world. You know, in the UK, um, and they, they're big, big users of R&D tax credits. Now, nobody has claimed that if you're you know, Rolls-Royce, for example, is a beneficiary of state sport if it uses R&D tax credits, uh, or that um, manufacturing businesses uh, yeah, around the, in the business parks around uh, around the UK are, are beneficiaries of state support, um, and uh, they can pay their investors dividends, they can pay performance bonuses to their people. And um, I think it's actually quite wrong-headed that um, we're getting into this conflation between people who are kind of using government policies, uh, standard stuff, by the way. So I mean, there, it's, you know, it's it's every company's eligible for it. There are seven million people now on furlough of some form or form or other. It is not as if you've gone and done a bespoke deal with the government the way you know Branson has been trying to do to sort of you know, please, mm-hmm. please, Mr. Government, can you can can we do a deal where you sort of give my company some money that that i think is a different question and i i do understand there that if you if you're if you're in that sort of situation the way the the big banks were in the global financial crisis that you know you should then not be expecting to pay to pay uh let your shareholders get off the scot-free or pay your management six-figure bonuses but that's not what we're talking about here 
Uh, and um, I, th I think the, the idea that uh, it's when it avails itself of a government policy designed to you know, restrict trading, um, that that somehow means their shareholders don't deserve a return. The, the, the pensioners who've, who've backed aren't going to get paid. I, I just find that quite wrongheaded. Sorry, David, long answer to simple question, but it's topical and it's it's useful it. and it's interesting and to be perfectly fair it's a lot more informed around it than i am so it's good to hear <laughs> look uh, i really appreciate your time this morning uh dialing in and uh, taking time to talk to us on the podcast i hope it continues to go well at good lord uh and this does present a good opportunity for you to to help many people uh, and agencies who are renting and um yeah thank you for your time and good luck thank you david and um thank you very much for having me on the show i'm a bit concerned that investors haven't worked out that businesses are selling 10 pounds for nine quid and they're still focusing on growth i don't know why this is news to me i kind of know that there's a lot of growth out there which is hype and i know that there's a lot of businesses that are just you know exponential growth is it but you'd think that the media and investors wouldn't literally throw money at these businesses and yet as william said a well-known financial firm. Obviously, he doesn't mention a name, but there's only several that we could probably think of. Uh, planning to hire thousands of staff yeah, and just get the money despite no plans. Yeah. It's crazy though, right? It's just, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's those people having more money than sense in the nicest way possible. Um, you know, but it also, it also just could be I don't know, just just companies hiding it very very well. But I I, I I don't know, Dave. I don't know if it's an intentional hide and seek thing where you know they're maybe getting money from investors and saying, look, you know, we need it for exponential growth. We need it for X. We need it for Y. But in in honesty, it might be for something else. Do you get what I mean? So mm -hmm. I I, I kind of don't know. But it's crazy why investors surely wouldn't. Look into, you know, look into the finer prints and and see where things are going. But the whole investment model has been to suggest it's the West Coast model of we'll back a hundred firms, and if one of them becomes that billion dollar business, mm. it's worth it. Mm. And therefore, you spread your risk around. But you're you're put you're you're basically backing a lot of companies that are going to go bust effectively, aren't going to do that. And and like William said, you know, it's it's that kind of a situation which is dangerous and people people will get hurt in situations like that. And I can't help but feel that the pandemic is, is a good opportunity to redress that, to rethink what's really important about a business. Is it that that we have unicorns left, right and centre in London or is it that we have actually some really solid businesses that are making money, that have a plan, that are well budgeted. And yeah, all right, they're maybe not worth a billion dollars, but they are stable employers where people can build careers, get skills, contribute in a way that's meaningful. Yeah, I think I, th I think all of that really. I mean, don't get me wrong, those stories where it's one in a hundred is is incredible. And then, you know, you kind of see the founders on the Forbes 30 under 30 yeah. and, you know, you you get the, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and, and, you know, all these sorts of people. Right. But also I think now where we are, and again, we're going on about it in another podcast in terms of the global pandemic, I think coming out of it, the biggest thing needs to be 
having yet that sustainable business, but also making sure that people's livelihoods, I think companies and these organizations, whether it's a startup, a unicorn business, or, you know, like a two man band working out of a, a shared office. I think those companies, if they can sustain people and help build people's lives up again by providing careers, by providing you know, opportunity development, I think they should also be invested in a bit more. I think there's nothing wrong with with the unicorn, right? You mm. know, the unicorn is supposed to be this mythical creature, though, that's mm. very difficult to find. And in the current marketplace, unicorns are two a penny. It feels like you know, twenty four unicorns created last year. Yeah, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with 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 the success stories of the Facebooks of the world. That that you've got to have that aspiration mm. to be able to build a really successful, exciting business. Mm. But it feels like investment has seen that as a potential return on there and that matters more than a good business it's being driven by investors and greed and the need to make more money mm. and therefore is putting growth on a pedestal at the expense of everything else and i think we need to get back to a stage where we go yeah absolutely we'd love a unicorn but we mm. want unicorns to be bloody rare and near nigh on mythical and things that we cherish yeah. instead yeah. of expect yeah, I mean, and also that phrase has been, you know, four or five years ago, that phrase was actually used for a rare business, you know, something that wasn't available or something that wasn't created yet. And now, if I'm honest, and I'm sure people that listen to this may agree with me, is it does get thrown around quite a lot. You know, everything is, oh, this is a unicorn, this is a unicorn, but you think, well, it's it's similar to another organisation just branded a bit differently or whatever, but... I think uh, I think these investors or, or that that greed that you mentioned. I also think at the same time, they they need to be careful in terms of you know not because the people that start these businesses are very creative, right? They they think to a whole new level, and that's why they're great at what they do. So we can't ha- not have those people still making business ideas, still making propositions, and helping the economy and 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 kind of people in general and us as consumers making our lives easier in whatever way possible. But at the same time, I think there needs to be a lot more backing or support for your traditional B2B businesses, B2C type businesses, you know, that may be able to offer a different avenue or an angle in the market like Good Lord, um, you know, which, which will make things things easier. Um, in fact, I was looking at their website before before we, we, we came on um, to do this and, it's just even on the look of the website, everything just looks so simple, so easy. And yeah, having rented before myself, and and obviously I know you alluded to it in the interview as well. It can be such a tedious process, mm. and then people can end up getting very, very frustrated, angry. You know, a lot more money can be consumed that that you may not necessarily have budgeted for. So yeah, it, it helps massively, I think. Um, similar to I think open rent. Um, I don't know if you've heard about that, but again. Open rent, I think, and I may be wrong here, but I think open rent can be used by anyone. So even if it's a private landlord or private kind of estate agent or whatever, but I think the good thing that Good Lord are doing, they're only working with estate agencies as well. So there's still that kind of the compliance piece, the regulatory piece. Whereas I, you know, open rent, I know some private landlords kind of use it to their own advantage. Really, you know, there's loops, loopholes around referencing, screening, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, good to see. Uh, uh, you, uh, proposition on the market uh, prop tech tech 
is always welcome, especially in London, where the, the, the market is what it is. Um, so, William, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing some really interesting views about technology market in general. We're going to go to a quick advert break. When we come back, we'll have a bit of technology news. My fa- oh, That's like asking my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite podcast? Uh, I think Football Ramble. House of Rugby. Um, Billy Yang's um, podcast. Freakonomics. Um, is Science Versus. And they're always very quirky. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I listen to that a lot just because the camaraderie and the individuals. Your Cast is a brand new podcast series where we talk to people making podcasts. On this show, you're going to hear some exciting new talents as well as some of the biggest names in the podcasting industry. We're releasing weekly in all the places where you'd normally get your podcasts from. Welcome back to Tech Talks. To round off your week, we have some interesting news. We're going to talk about Zoom again, Akish, uh, because I love talking about Zoom at the minute, but this one's brilliant. Um, Have you had any animals sneak into any meetings recently? Um, I I don't have any animals, but I've I've been on meetings where they have, yeah. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, people basically have been adding goats to work calls uh, and so on. So whilst the rest of the world has been in lockdown, the yep. goats of Crunkshaw Fold Farm in Lancashire have been busy. In the past few weeks, uh, they've been to a rave in Berlin, a birthday party in New Zealand, all virtually. It's just one of an increasing variety of animal breeds that people can now book in to join their Zoom meetings. Oh, right. Up. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Tedium. An animal, like a pet, came into the shot or something. No, 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 no. Oh, right. People... Well, no, then I haven't. Oh, okay, okay. Right. I was going to say, I, I haven't seen this. I think it's genius. Start yeah. as a bit of a joke, and then we got inundated with messages, says farmer Dot McCarthy. They now have the capacity, right, to do up to 100 Zoom calls a day, charging £5 for a 10-minute appearance. Wow. They stick their goat on Zoom. How wow. genius is this? How absolutely genius is this? A farmer is charging £5 for a 10-minute appearance to stick their goats, their sheep, whatever else, on your work meeting as a bit of a birthday surprise or just as a joke. (laughs) That's incredible. The fact that he's monetized it as well is hilarious. That's amazing. I love it. Also, hasn't our CEO got a, um, a goat, which is called Snoop Dogg, I do believe, isn't it? Oh, it's a, it's a it's a cow, is it not? Is, is, no, I thought I thought it's a goat. I thought it's a goat. Or a... We named we named a cat. I thought we named maybe it is a goat. Yeah, Jason. Yeah. Jason. Jason should be monetizing his farm. Correct, correct. Jason, if you be... listen to this, if you listen to this, get Snoop Dogg on Zoom and get yourself on, on the next board meeting. Yeah, on on the next board meeting with the big dogs of Harvey Nash Group and uh, monetize it, buddy, and uh, send me and Dave some beers as well. Because we just gave you that idea. Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 pay you ten quid to sneak yeah. the cow on the next board mo- meeting for a yeah. laugh and record it for us. <laughs> yeah, I think exactly. it's brilliant. Look, you know, we're all going a bit loopy in lo- in lockdown with the bank holiday yeah. weekend coming up. Check it out. Go check out this farm. Um, as I said, it's called Cronkshaw Fold Farm in Lancashire. There we go. Cronkshaw Fold Farm. Hopefully, they do some other animals because then, yeah, they could always diversify their. Portfolio. Portfolio, absolutely. 100%. I might need to reach out and offer some uh, angel investing advice or something, I reckon. It's brilliant. Right, look, have a lovely bank holiday weekend, everyone. William, thank you for being our guest. And, of course, Tech Talks will be back on Tuesday. Cheers, guys.